Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with another episode of the No CMO Podcast, brought to you by You Don't Need a CMO. Our guest today on No CMO is a y'all bino of Iconic Labs. Iconic is a value-add investor accelerator for early-stage Israeli tech startups looking to become successful global companies via New York City. Eyal has invested in over 100 Israeli companies over his time as a VC and currently contributes to Forbes about his life as an Israeli in New York City. He previously ran Global Innovator and continues to invest, educate, and assist startups in their path to growth. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the No CMO podcast today. I have Eyal with me. He is the co-founder and partner at Iconic Labs. Um, I don't want to talk too much about what he does. I'd rather have him explain it for us. Uh, so, hey, y'all, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. And uh, I'm excited to uh, share some thoughts around Israeli tech and New York tech and uh, kind of everything in between. Um, I'm happy to give you kind of, um, a little bit of a sense of, of my background. Um, I was born and raised in Israel um, during uh, my army days. So everyone at the age of 18 goes uh, in Israel, goes to the army. Uh, I met uh, one of my best friends uh, and then he ended up going to Yukon uh, to go to school. Uh, and I was kind of interested in what Yukon was all about, took a summer course there uh, and ended up getting a scholarship to play basketball for um, Kane University, which is wow. in New Jersey. Yep. Yeah, and this was really, yeah, I was uh, the oldest freshman in uh, the history of the school. I was 24. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, because I had to go through my army, army days and then figure out what I want to do in life. And that took a couple more years. Um, and that basically led me to do my two degrees here in, in New York. Um, I did my master's at NYU in international relations and business. Uh, did business work for an e-learning company. Um, that is uh, producing animated content for kids. Uh, and then just got excited about uh, global innovation and specifically Israeli innovation um, and, uh, and how New York can play a pivotal role in, in helping companies become more, more global and, and scalable. Um, started a program called Global Innovator that sourced companies from all over the world, uh, focused on, on pre-seed and seed and moving them to New York and giving them access to the VC community potential clients and partners. Uh, and then in 2015, uh, decided to focus uh, solely on, on Israeli tech um, and co-founded Iconic Labs, which is basically the first go-to-market accelerator and incubator for Israeli startups looking to build big companies via NYC. Uh, and we've been running it for about four years now. So wow. um, that's yeah. basically it. That's that's crazy. That's crazy that how you were 24 as a freshman. That's so cool. No, that's just I, I love I love to get the bad. It seems like the background and the history. Like you never know until you ask people. You know, it's that, that's such a cool facet. Um, but onto the like onto the startup space. Like, so what was was it? What was the what did you see was the problem? Um, or what was the the solution that you solved? Maybe you know with Global Innovator, maybe with Israeli startups specifically, but maybe foreign startups as well what what was their what was their biggest problem what did you you see uh when you when you began that program so i, I think i looked at it more as an opportunity than a problem so i okay. looked at innovation that became um really democratized all over the world right you look at great companies uh and they're really coming from all over right so spotify is from sweden um you know you look at companies ways is israeli obviously 
you know, you got companies, even in the U.S., you get great companies in New York and in the Valley, but also there's great companies in Chicago and in Boulder, Colorado and in Austin, Texas, right? So innovation is everywhere. And what I wanted to do is really kind of level the playing field, right? So helping entrepreneurs really get direct access to VCs to really be able to tell their stories and uh, grow their business and, and play a role in the, in the early stage part, right? So not when, you know, companies is already established, but really almost from the part that it's two guys in the garage trying to build a company. And my philosophy is that if you're targeting the U.S. market, you got to be in the U.S. as quickly and as early as possible uh, to avoid you know, making mistakes and repeating them by not being here, not talking to customers, not looking them, you know, in the white, you know, of the eyes and trying mm-hmm. to figure out where is the pain and how they can, you know, sell, you know, how they can sell more effectively. So this was kind of the overall idea behind um, Global Innovator and specifically Iconic. Um, and being Israeli, I felt like I have the best access to Israeli startups. Yep. New York has become, you know, so much more prominent over the last like, five years. Um, and naturally, Israeli startups and VCs looked at the Valley as, as the base for, you know, being um, based in the U.S. Uh, and it changed completely over the last um, several years. And I wanted to create a place where Israeli founders can come in and, and build companies from the ground up. Yeah. And so there was nothing like that before. Like that. So they, they didn't have the, I guess, and you said it too, uh, before I could, the access, right? I mean, that seems like that's the prime that's the number one thing, the access to talking to the right people and making the, the connections, right? So I think access is part of it. I think also telling the right story is a mm. big part of it. Because That's huge as any for any company, right? I mean, yeah. Right, right. And to and relay then, the story then. Yeah, and I think dramatically the, the issue of access became dramatically harder over the last couple of years because there's so many startups and everyone wants to meet with VCs yeah. and everyone wants to meet with the right partner in VCs, right? So it's like, how do you how do you get there, right? How do you do that? And when I'm gonna make an intro to a to a VC or to a potential customer, I need to feel comfortable that a company is telling the right story because my credibility and reputation is on the line as well, right? Because no one's gonna take interest from me if I'm not gonna show interesting companies and show value, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so one part of it is telling the right story. Uh, another part of it is to to give the right access. Um, and another part of it is is really you know, to, to build credibility and play a role over time, because I think it's very hard as, as a for you know, as a foreign company and someone who didn't grow up in New York uh, or even in the U.S. to get traction um, with VCs right away. You've got to build credibility and relationship and engage over time. And that's something that I think specifically for Israelis is hard because they're like very much about... Mm-hmm. Results, you know, right now, right here. Tell me yes or no, and if it's yes, great. If no, I'm moving to the next one. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of education there. So is that? Um, so they're not really down with the negotiation port or building the relationship. It's more of like they. If you don't understand our vision, then you don't understand our vision. Is that? Am I saying that correctly? Or so I think you know Israelis are very opinionated people, right, uh, and very proud. Uh, as far as entrepreneurs. And, and I think many times, especially, um, I think the younger generation is a little bit more savvy um, mm-hmm. and have, I think, a little bit different, uh, of a different approach to, to building relationships. Um, I think it's based on experience, right? So I think yep. if you grew up in Israel and you became an entrepreneur at the age of 40 and you come in here, all of your experience is based 
out of working in the Israeli market, right? So yep. Yep. over there, it's very much, you know, yes or no, right? So, um, you know, I think in the U.S. it's a little bit different. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs who don't make the switch and the adjustment to the approach of building relationships over time, I think they're having a big problem. And I see it with some of the accounting companies. So some of the least successful companies haven't been able to make the transition. Now, now, are you like how 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 do you see yourself like, or how do you go about solving that? Are you like kind of coaching them, being like, "Hey, you sometimes you have to have this build this relationship for a few months before you're going to go pitch this," or like, what what are you finding that um, you know you were doing you know to help them on that end? Like, were you? Yeah, no, I think I think a lot of it goes to mentorship, um, which today is kind of a it's kind of a cheap word, right? Like everything is is about mentorship. Um, but I think that a lot of it is about getting to know the ecosystem, getting to know the culture. Uh, I always tell my entrepreneurs, if you want to know, um, an, you know, an American VC or, or enterprise, et cetera, take them for a beer. Like, you know, go. And my brother, I don't know if you can hear me or not because you got frozen. So, Hey, sorry, guys. The Zoom cut out for a second, but we're back. I, I think one of the things that I was referring to is uh, building relationship over time and I always tell my entrepreneurs, if you want to get to know an American, take him you know, or her for a beer and go for a drink and, and you're really going to get to know the person because it's hard during the day. Um, you know, most of my entrepreneurs, when they go to a meeting, I ask them the same question and they answer me typically the same answer, which is, how was your meeting? And they say, I have no idea because they can't really read the other side, right? So yeah. I think building this relationship over time is something that's been, you know, for me, something that I've been very focused on, you know, with entrepreneurs. Yeah, that seems to be because exactly because and that's like a cultural difference, right? I mean, it's not yeah. really. Yeah, it's not the same on the Israeli side. I would say it's 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 different. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, the approach of an Israeli VC or investor is you come in after five minutes, I'll tell you yes or no, um, which mm-hmm. is very different in the U.S. I think you can get no fairly quickly, maybe not after five minutes because the other person wants to listen to you. Right. But the, uh, mm-hmm. but the yes can sometimes take, take a little bit of time and you got to allow the other person to get there. <clears throat> and you also um, need to treat this more of a, almost like a tennis match, right? Like one person. Yeah, it's a back and forth, right? Yeah. Rather than an A or a B, it's not really binary. It's kind of a, a gray thing. You don't know until you know type of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. And Israelis just don't have it in the DNA. It's not, <laughs> yeah. They just don't have the patience. Yeah. It's not their fault. That's just how it is. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. And it's it's a game you gotta play. You gotta be part of it or just not play, right? No, yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. And did you so did you see that when you came here? Um, like personally yourself, like when you came here when you were like I think you said you were twenty four, like did you was that something that you noticed in particular, like when you were younger? That oh these American people are like they're they're this is their this is the cultural difference from them to for us. Yeah, no, listen, it's it's hard. Right? Even for me, you know, for twenty years in the US it's it's hard. Um because sometimes I'm like, just say yes or no. I mean, what's the big deal, right? So yeah, like, why are you playing games with me, man? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is a. But, it is sometimes it is, yeah. Yeah, and, and and you know what? I think that um, it's part of a kind of growing pain, right? Like a lot of times, you have to go through something, and many times I made a lot of mistakes because I was more upfront, and I realized that you know if you really want to be successful, you have to adapt, um, or otherwise just go somewhere else where you feel more comfortable right so um but i think that's something that 
it really, I can see a very big difference between Israeli founders who have been here for a while or they're like second time entrepreneurs versus, mm. you know, first time entrepreneurs. Um, and, and I think to be open, I think it's good to have a mix, right? Like you want to have, you know, people here who maybe are more Israeli who challenge you and very much upfront, you know, with you uh, on the team. And you want to have, you know, on your team, uh, and now I'm kind of moving to talent. Um, you know, people who are a little bit more sensitive and kind of take a holistic view and, and maybe a little bit more American, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but I think navigating this is what really makes this more of an art than a science. Yeah, and when they when they come here, do they, yeah, I was going to, honestly, I was going to go to that too. Are they hiring American people then or when they come here or are they having Israeli, is it kind of like no rhyme or reason to it or is it, do you, do you see that a lot? I think it depends on the stage of the company. Um, I think most Israeli companies in New York at some point become more Americanized, especially as they scale. I think the, the challenging part is really in the early stages where you're like maybe at a seed stage or an Aaron stage. A lot of times, I'd say between 50 to 80% of the time, uh, Israelis who hire the first American kind of peace dev or sales guy, within six months, they fire him or her just because they expect a lot faster results. And I think the American side typically takes a little bit of time. Um, mm-hmm. So many times Israeli founders are looking for other Israelis who have already been in New York for a while, maybe more work for other startups or American companies and bring this know-how because they can be the liaison between. It's like the both, best. it's the best of both worlds then, right? Yeah. Like they right. understand you're, you get an Israeli sales guy who's been here for a certain amount of time. They get the American sales, they get the Israeli side. Um, and, and both cultures. Yeah. That's, then that's the prime. That's what you want. Yeah, right? And that's yeah. very hard to find. And that's very hard. Yeah. To I was going to say how many of them are, <laughs> are out there like that. Right. It's hard. Yeah. To find, but it gets, it gets, you know, we're getting more of those because it's just right now there's over 300 uh, Israeli startups in New York. So there's a lot of talent out there. And, uh, you know, honestly, there is a, a big war for talent. Right. So you look at companies in the same, you know, look at Tabula and Outbrain until they merged. They, they were fighting with each other on a daily basis about talent, right? So, um, you know, it, it's, it's been interesting, I think, to see the evolution of, of New York in general and also the evolution of the Israeli constituency, you know, yeah. in New York, you know, in particular. So I think you might have mentioned a number last time, but do you know how many Israeli startups there are in, in New York? So there is actually, uh, crazy enough, someone created an Israeli map, so a map of Israeli startups in New York. Wow. Um, and on that map, there's over 250 startups already, right? So wow. I'd say it's anywhere between 250 to 300 um, of companies that either started in Israel and have a base here or just started here and have a base here just in New York, which is, when you think about it, there's no, no other country has so many startups here in New York outside of Israel. It's crazy. I mean, even that, just to have 250 startups and such, I mean, obviously there's 10,000 probably, right. I guess, you know, total in, the, in just in the Silicon Alley type of, you know, environment or just, you know, in Manhattan alone. Right. But that's, that, that's crazy. Um, but do you think uh, this is more of like a cultural question? It's a little more like broad, but do you think that foreign startups, maybe not just Israeli, but do you think foreign startups are changing the culture of the New York, the New York startup culture at all? Um, no, I think, in your opinion? I think, I think actually the more of a natural fit to New York, right? Because um, New Yorkers are, you know, it's a melting pot, right? So everyone yeah. here yeah. is not naturally, you know, was born here, right? Like it's just a city of immigrants. 
So I think it's actually more of a natural fit for uh, foreign startups and entrepreneurs to be here than actually to be in the Valley or to be in the Midwest because, you know, New York is everything, right? And mm-hmm. you have all types of food here, all types of people. And, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's been such a great development for the city. Um, and obviously, yeah, I think as an Israeli, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about Israeli founders setting up shop here versus the Valley because I feel like it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's closer, it's more interesting. Uh, and I think it adds a lot of an interesting flavor to the city. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. And I, I think it's, I'm, I'm excited to see. I mean, I feel like this is, I, I know you've been in it for, for years, but you know, it's kind of almost just the beginning of who knows what it's going to be in five years or 10 years, right? And how, however many more are going to come. Um, I kind of want to like switch sides a little bit and uh, talk about, I think we kind of t- mentioned it on the last call, but is there any trends that you see with Israeli startups that, or trends being things that they're specifically good at um, you know, as, as a, as a trend in their startups. Um, I think you said something about product the last time, but. Yeah. Yeah. So Israelis are, um, there's a very heavy focus on product and on technology, right? So a lot of Israeli entrepreneurs come from the elite military units. Um, and I think they then try to apply some of their learnings into startups, you know, startups and startup ideas, right? So, Israelis are very big on cybersecurity, on AI, uh, but but you see now an evolution of Israeli startups um, that are going into a lot of different industries, right? So naturally, it was a lot of kind of deep technologies, uh, AI. You know, now you can see evolution in fintech, in surtech, uh, mm-hmm. enterprise software across industries, um, and also you can see also an evolution of um, you know a lot of a lot more SaaS. Um, startups and, and B2C startups, right? So uh, Israel produced Waze, <laughs> Viber. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, and now you see Israeli companies that are so successful on the B2C side. So Via, you know, who doesn't know Via in New York City, right? So yeah. it's, a, it's a very successful company. On the va- in the Valley, you see House, which is a very successful <clears throat> Israeli, you know, related company, if you want to call it, because the founders are Israeli. Um, Talkspace, if you know them, which is in the kind of uh, therapy space. Um, so a lot of really interesting places. Lemonade on the insurance side. So yeah, you mentioned really- them last time. I actually looked into them a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So you see Israeli founders, um, you know, innovating across industries and across markets. Uh, and I think that's something that is very, very special and unique to Israel because you can see why I think there's so much hype about Israeli tech. Because they really produce um, interesting technologies and products across many, many industries. Gotcha. Um, I want to talk a little bit, um, kind of a little bit more broad again of like what is in with startups in general or, you know, the startups that you've worked for, um, what it has been. And I think we mentioned this, too, of, um, you know, going to market. Um, is that like the largest pain point that you've seen or start with startups in general? What is the largest kind of pain, the thing that the hump that they really you know, have struggled the most with getting over? Yeah, so I think, you know, I've been thinking about this question actually a lot lately because I see a lot of really interesting companies and founders and technologies, and many times their sales kind of lags behind on the innovation of the product, right? So um, I think specifically Israeli founders and, and really all founders 
um, what separates them is the ability to go to market faster and really nail down their product market fit and the ability to go from, you know, 10, 20, 30K in MR to 100 to 150 within 12 months. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously very hard to do, but the best companies, they have the ability to scale traction. I think a lot of it comes from just naturally finding your product market fit. I think the other one, and, and I've seen this with a bunch of the companies that I'm, I'm involved with, the first key hire as far as sales can really make or break a company. Right? So if you have the right sales guy who can really open the market for you, that's going to be huge, right? And then it's going to generate more funding. It's going to generate more talent to come to the company. Um, but if you don't have the right salespeople, then you kind of stuck, right? And sales not going yeah. as, as fast. And then it's kind of a snowball that is very hard to stop. Um, so I think acquiring talent, like good talent early on, can really play you know, a big role in the success of startups. Now, like... Is so is interviewing like he, like how would you go about like do you have any tips for hiring the best talent? Do you hire a bunch of people and then you know fire a bunch of people and keep one? Is there or like how would you? Is it the questions that you ask? Is it the interviews? Is it the way that you find them or the time that you take? Um, I know that was a lot of words, but um, no, for you know sure. So I, I think it's about first of all having the right expectations and the right definition of what are you mm. what are you actually looking for? Like clearly define what you need, right? Right. Is this more of a lead gen person? Is it a, a hard, you know, hardcore sales guy? Is it a VP sales who needs to hire and more of kind of um, define the strategy, right? So it's different in different stages, right? The other key, I think, is um, uh, I guess there's like three things, right? That's one piece. The other piece is it's almost like a funnel, right? Like you really want to go, and I don't care how many recruiters you, you know, you work with, just try to get them. Don't get cheap on this. Just try to get the best candidates, you know, you can get, right? That, that's the other piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think then once you choose the candidate, give it a couple months. And I think within two to three months, even if you don't see results, you can see, you know, if, if, if there's progress. So if you feel like this is the right person, the company is moving, great. If not, you just got to fire and just got to move on to the next one because the biggest asset that startups have is, is time, right? So if you don't have time, you know, if, if you're losing time and you're wasting it on trying to give someone uh, another chance and he's not going to be able to perform, you're basically, you know, ruining it for yourself. Yeah. And you don't, I guess you also don't want to jump in too quickly of like, oh, I don't want to lose this person. I got to hire him right now. It's like, well, you, maybe you would be better off, you know, interviewing 10 more people and you wouldn't know maybe that 10th person was it's even better than this first guy. So, so I guess what you're saying is to like, just take the time to do it. Like really, if, cause it's means I, I, and I didn't even realize like the value of that first salesperson. I never thought about it like that, but to really take the time, um, to get the right person, to find the right fit. Yeah. yeah it seems it's, essential. It's, it's a funnel. It's just like, you know, VCs when they have a funnel for, you know, investments, they got to see a lot of startups in order to make the right, you know, decision. Right. So it's the same thing. Uh, about talent and especially when it comes to sales talent. I mean, really across the board, but mm-hmm. sales at the end of the day, it's what generates funding, right? So if you don't have sales, you know, you can, you can really raise money. 
Yeah. And we, we always see, obviously we're more on the marketing side, but we always see like marketing is like the first thing to get cut. It's like, they, they don't think they're like, okay. Um, yeah, sales, let's double, triple, you know, triple down on our sales guys. But then, you know, when you're going to build your brand image or you're trying to tell a story about your company, your sales guys aren't, that's not their job. Right. So, um, on the marketing side, have you seen, um, you know, like what have you seen like work with or what have you seen work? And then what have you seen some problems with if you could, if you could go right, right. on that side, just because we're biased for marketing here. At no, of course, Sony, of course. So. <laughs> yeah. So I think it also depends on, you know, uh, what kind of company, right? So if it's a B2B, uh, marketing is different versus B2C or B2B2C, right? So, um, you know, I, I think it really depends on um, setting the right strategy, right? I think you need, really need to go and interview customers. I'll give you an example. Um, a very successful uh, entrepreneur in New York is Jonah Goodhart, who is the uh, co-founder CEO of Moat. Uh, they were sold a couple of years ago to Oracle for $800 million. Oh, wow. And, and he basically said for a whole year, all he did was go to six to eight potential customers a day and interview them about the product he was building. And he basically said, here's what I built. Would you pay for it? And if not, what would you like to have, right? So um, at the end of the day, he, he basically built a product that everyone liked and wanted, and he was able to scale the company very quickly. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, either they just don't pay enough attention to it uh, to really understand the customer and then market it correctly. Um, and I think that's uh, especially a, a problem of, of Israeli founders because a lot of times they come up with like great ideas, but they're so far you know, removed from the market because they're in Israel and they're guessing what the market actually wants or needs. And instead of guessing it, you should just go to customers and talk to them and ask them, right? That's, that's just so much easier, right? So, um, so yeah, so on the marketing side, it's also about relying on one thing. I think that that can be really, um, you know, it can kill a company, right? So a lot of companies rely on Facebook as a channel, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know a company now that has been relying on, on Facebook for lead gen and then Facebook basically shut, shut them down. And now this is the major, you know, source of, of uh, you know, leads for them. And they're kind of stuck. They have to kind of rethink their strategy, right? So, um, so I think it's really, it really depends on the market, um, on the customers and, and what their likes are. and then. Once you figure out a strategy, just hone in on it and just focus on it and just, you know, just do your best to, to zoom in and just do that. Because if something works, you just got to write it. Are most of like the founders doing the marketing? Or are they hiring in-house? Are they hiring agencies? Like, what do you see in, in, the, in that respect? So it really depends on the type of founder, right? So um, mm-hmm. the, the New York founders are typically marketing salespeople. And they, they, yeah. their biggest challenge is to hire technology people, right? In Israel, it's more, most of the founders are technical founders. Their challenge is to find marketing and sales people who can actually market their product. Um, so, um, you know, I think it really depends on the founders. Uh, I, I think the best companies have a little bit of both, uh, mm-hmm. where founders are a little technical, but also know go-to-market, know how to sell, and know how to tell a story. And if they know how to tell a story, I think they can figure out the best marketing channel, uh, you know, for the companies and also to set the strategy for the rest of the business and have kind of a unified message across the board, right? I think the problem starts when there's 10 different stories for one company. Then that's when 
none of the employees know what they're doing. And yes, yes. The and the vision, it. it's also the vision too. I mean, like, I feel like it, it almost seems like an arbitrary thing. It almost seems like something that they like tell you every company needs a mission and a vision. It's like not like it's actually very important. And then that's going to be relayed through the entire marketing message and to tell the story, right? Because you're right, you can't have, you know, you can't have three different marketers in the company telling three different stories right. relaying to, through the messaging. Yeah. Right, right. And that's been, um, I think that's been a key for the successful companies, right? Like if you look at the most successful companies, their marketing has been easy. Like you really, like Uber, right? Like you get what Uber does, right? Or Lyft. Or right off the bat, it's just no questions asked, really. Like, oh, this is what they do. That's right. it. <laughs> right, right. But I think it's really interesting because today there's a lot more, not just B2B and B2C, there's also D2C, right? And then those direct-to-consumer companies have really revolutionized the way marketing works, right? You look at Casper, you look at Box, <clears throat> you know, you look at the success of uh, Rent a Runway uh, and Stitch Fits, right? And then those are companies that, you know, have, have naturally been, you know, very different when they started. And, and right now they are just super successful. And, and I think, kind of a good case study for other companies, you know, trying to figure out their marketing. Yeah, the problem we've seen too is marketers just not really, like they're, they're good marketers, but they don't necessarily, and something you touched on, they don't necessarily understand the market, especially when it comes to startups. And I can see that being a problem because uh, startups are so dynamic, you know, there could be anything, right? And to have a company come from Israel and then come to this market, especially, first of all, they, you know, they probably wouldn't know the market hear that well and then how do you find somebody that everybody's going to tell you they understand the market but right. you know right so it's like who are you supposed to listen to you know and that's also something that we do as well because we have multiple cmos so you know and we've been working for with startups for a long time but that kind of goes off that that point of like finding somebody that really truly understands your product and then understands the market to, to test it in you know that's that's mandatory and and it's hard it's difficult so yeah. I'm glad that we touched on that though, because we find that we find the same thing. Because we have marketers on, we have founders on, and a lot of them say like, along with what you said, but also just testing too. Um, and I, I and what exactly what you said, people will rely on one platform. It'll work for a while. It'll work. They'll see, oh, our competitors are doing this too. It's working for them. This is going to work for us. Bang! They throw all the money at Facebook, and then Facebook's algorithm gets it pulls them off or something, um, and then they don't have an email list. So right. and then, you know, and that's the only thing that people can't really take away from you. So, right, yeah. right. Everyone and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and listen, everyone is fighting for attention today. And, um, yep. you know, to, to figure out how to get the attention of, you know, the buyer on the other side, um, whether it's a consumer or an enterprise, that's, that's very challenging. And, and I think that's why the best talent demands, uh, you know, kind of great value, right? And, um, and, and I think that's, that's something, but I think a lot of startups, they got to be very scrappy in the beginning and, and kind of A-B test and see what works and what doesn't. And, and only then bring in the right talent to kind of really scale this. So I think a lot of it goes into like having uh, founders that have kind of multi, uh, dis you know, discipline areas, right? So, yeah, that got into my question about founders. That gets right into my question about founders too, of like how much does the founders you know, personality, knowledge, ability, influence the rest of the company. I've, I've just found that to be, you know, um, and have, have a pretty good impact, but I'm not sure of your uh, thoughts on it. No, it's, it's huge. I think at the end of the day, the founders and especially the CEO, they, they set the tone for the rest of the company. 
and yeah. it goes from when it comes to culture, uh, you know, the way they treat the employees, the strategy, the ability to have, you know, open communication about where the company is at when, when it's good and when things are not so good, right? So, uh, and, and listen, startup is, is a roller coaster. One day, it's just all the way up, right? yeah. you know, and, yep. and one day it's like, what the fuck, right? Like, I want to I quit, right? So, yep. And um, I think the idea that uh, there's a stable um, management team and, and founders who will be with you and treat you with, with, with respect and listen to you and, and kind of set up the culture for the company, it's huge. And um, I think a lot of the good companies, you know, they love the CEOs. They love going to work. And at the end of the day, you know, if you're, if you're very talented, you have options. And you want to, you know, so that's why investing in your employees and, and, and investing in um, being a role, a role model for the rest of the company, it's huge for founders. So that's, I mean, and when I go and source companies and I meet with founders, I, I try to envision how are they going to be when they meet with VCs. And if the VC is going to be able to say, wow, I want to bet on this guy. Uh, and how are they going to be when the company is going to be at 10 employees, 50 or 100? Um, and that's part of the criteria. And I think a lot of the VCs are doing the same thing because they want to get companies to the next stage, whether it's an A round, B round, C round, IPO, et cetera. Uh, that seems like the biggest indicator. Do you think, would that be the biggest, the largest indicator for you for, uh, for determining success of a company would, or at least one of them, I, maybe there's not one, you know, there's probably not one thing, but that's probably up there with like top three biggest things, right? Is the founder slash CEO. Cause I'll, usually they're one and the same. But. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's really at the early stages, right? Like, you know, early, it's all about the founders and, you know, how long they've been together and, and can the CEO tell a story and, um, you know, how frugal they are and, you know, how, how, how adaptable they are to other markets, etc. cetera. Uh, I think as a company grows, right, like sometimes you see post-A round, post-B round, you know, there's a, maybe a CEO who comes in who is more of a professional CEO can scale the company. Um, but... I think early on, it's a lot about the founders. It's a lot about how they interact as a team um, and how can they weather the storm when the storm comes or, you know, or how they function when things are going really well. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, you never know, right? Uh, but I think yep. <laughs> once, you, once you do this for a while, I think you have a sense of what makes, you know, for a good founder. And um, uh, I think it comes with experience. Gotcha. I want to transition a little bit um, to funding. This is not something that I know a whole lot about. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. So it's pretty a broad um, question, but like, have you experienced or experimented with funding models that are different than the traditional, just like ABC rounds? Like, is there, can you just, can you touch on that at all? Maybe it's, you know, um, maybe you can't on a podcast, but I'd just like to hear your thoughts on, on funding itself. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And I think funding has evolved uh, over the last few years. Um, so you got the traditional VCs, right? They do pre-seed, seed, A, B, etc. cetera. Uh, and then there, there's many of them um, and way many, you know, way more than what you have, like what you had five or 10 years ago. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Uh, a lot of micro VCs uh, that are popping up all over the place, whether it's in, in New York, the Valley, the U.S. or other parts of the world. Um, I think over the last few years, the um, the notion of crowdfunding has become more um, 
standard and more, mm. um, I think, interesting. So a, a big fund in Israel is called uh, Our Crowd, which is providing funding on a crowdfunding basis to entrepreneurs, and they deployed a ton of capital so far. Um, in New York, um, there's another fund that um, you know is doing kind of seed investment. It's called Seed Invest. Uh, that is a crowdfunding based. Uh, so that's another area. Um, one of the biggest um, uh, trends right now is revenue-based financing. Uh, I'm involved actually right now with, with a, a revenue-based financing called Liquidity Capital out of Israel and New York uh, that provides um, capital for growing companies that is unsecured, non-recourse, and basically is based on uh, purchasing partial um, sums of future revenue. Um, and it's been really interesting to kind of see the, you know, the way it evolved. Uh, another uh, well-known uh, player in that field is, is ClearBank, which actually provides marketing dollars um, to companies uh, in exchange for interest. Uh, and they, they've been, uh, you know, kind of an interesting player making a lot of noise. Um, and also you got the venture debt players, right? So SVB and other banks that provide venture loans to startups where um, they, they take interest and also some equity kickers and, and warrants. Um, so it's a little bit of a different model. It's not equity-based, but some companies are using this to grow the company. So it's, it's you know, funding has evolved, but I'd say it's still uh, predominantly VC and equity, you know, it's kind of the majority of funding that we see right now. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at, um, as a founder, you really need to look at a fit. It's almost like investor fit, not just product market fit, right? So do I want to get funding from a smaller VC, a bigger VC, you know, a big name, a smaller name? I want a VC who's going to help me more or just, you know, leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want a bigger check or a bunch of smaller checks, right? So, you know, which, you know, how do I work with a partner in, in you know, in that VC? How is the board going to be constructed like, right? So... A lot of very different, it's, it's really almost like a puzzle and you have to put the pieces together and, and figure out, hey, is this going to work for me and my company, right? But, so, yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like the difference now is that in kind of what you mentioned is it's you can tailor make it now. You can have that. It's almost like a custom, like you want to have that custom fit, that person that, like you said, maybe you want somebody who's really involved or somebody that's really laid back. That's going to be, that's not going to be everybody, right? So you're going to have it seems like there's more options now to find on the VC side and on the company side to find that fit. There is, but I think the challenge is there's also dramatically many more startups, right? Yeah, so, so that's, that brings up. So when there's one thing that's better, <laughs> it's, it's, always right. a, it's always a counterbalancing, yeah. And, and the bar is super high now, right? So yeah. most VCs make between, you know, six to eight investments per year, uh, which means that and they see about a thousand companies per year, right? Between wow. between yeah. the partners. And it just shows you the rate, right? Like it's it's the one percent or less than that. So you really have to, I mean on the VC side, right? So you really have to have a good team, very unique solution. You wanna have some traction. So a lot of different pieces and honestly some luck because mm. so you, is that you, you know you can meet the right VC and the right partner and he didn't sleep the night before because his baby was crying and, you know, here you go. Like, you're, you know, you didn't have a great meeting because the other side, you know, wasn't very uh, attentive to, to, you know, to your pitch, right? So, um, 
So listen, luck is one of these, but you always want to increase your luck by having a good funnel, but really understanding the landscape so you can tap into the, VC, the right VCs uh, at the right time, talk to the right partners, and, and hopefully have a great meeting and, and, and lead to you know, a funding event. Yeah, and making and hopefully you get eight hours of sleep to and just making the I that popped in my head too of like the pitch is so huge like huge. It, huge. it's it's everything basically and the preparedness right I mean I would assume I'm just assuming I've never made one myself but I'm assuming that um, just you have to be extremely prepared for for those big questions you know yeah so pitch is huge right so um, you know having the right deck uh, there's so many questions now about. So when do you send the deck before the meeting? Yeah. You know, after the it meeting. seems like a little thing, but it's not. But it's a question. No, it's yeah. not. It's not. You know, do you use a one pager or not? Do you do only a one paragraph and maybe a link to the website? I mean, it becomes really an art versus science, right? And um, uh, you know, many VCs have, have, have different opinions, but um, I think a lot of times founders just have no idea. Like, you know, they just send. A very long deck, right? Like thirty pages. Here's, here's everything that we have. Right. Every single thing, right? Yeah. Right, and, and VCs typically don't look at more than ten slides or ten, twelve slides because they don't have time. Right? Yeah, so, it's a resume, right? It's like a resume for your company, basically. It really is, right? So, yeah. and it's about who made the introduction, right? If I don't know you, does it come from someone I know, like you know, Eyal or Ryan, or is it someone I don't really know, right? So, it's there's a lot of different elements about getting funded. Um, and you always want to increase your chances by having the right deck, having the right pitch, being prepared, just like you said, <clears throat> making you know, getting the right intro from the right person. So it's it, it seems easy, but it's really not. <laughs> it's it, there's a lot of a lot of different factors at play, right? Um, that's yeah. Honestly, um, I would I would I would hate to I would hate to end it. I don't want to take more of your time. I know you're busy. We're busy over here too. Um, thank you. So much, Al. There's so much insight in this conversation, and I honestly didn't even know it would be this good. So um, that was gr- that. It's 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 been great. I just want to thank you for for coming on here. If there's anything um, that you want to say to our viewers, our audience, um, and listeners, we have the video and we have audio form as well. So anywhere that they can find you, if you want to shout out Iconic, um, whatever you're working on currently, uh, that would be great. Sure. So first of all, I'm always I'm always available on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the easiest way to find me. I'm also available on my email, A-L, E-Y-A-L, at iconiclabs.com, uh, I-C-O-N-Y-C, labs.com. Uh, and I think that the only one advice is, um, even though it's very difficult and it's a, it's a big-time roller coaster to be a founder, I would always prefer this than, um, you know, not being able to try to fulfill my dreams and, and you know, optimize and unlock uh, your potential. So, you know, if you are debating between starting a company uh, or not, um, I would always, you know, depending on what stage you are in your life, I, de- I always would, you know, vouch to, to try to do this and, 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 and give it a shot uh, because you never know, um, you know, what you can create, you know, by, by going all the way, right? So, uh, so I enjoy working with entrepreneurs, um, you know, whether they're local or, or Israeli or, um, you know, from other parts of the world and i think it's really amazing to see the growth of the new york ecosystem and, and i expect new york to be you know even at a much better spot you know in a few years so thanks for having me i i joined our conversation and i look forward to having this uh, sometime again in the future 
Anytime. Thank you so much for, for your time and, and also giving us just the straight, the insight and the opinion. I mean, that's why we have this podcast too. It's, <clears throat> we don't want it to be so structured that we can't, you know, expand on the topics. And I think you did a great job of that today. And, and, uh, and I appreciate it once again, um, all the information, ladies and gentlemen, that he mentioned, all the companies mentioned in this are going to be in the show notes or the description, wherever you're listening. So thank you y'all. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for another episode of the No CMO podcast. I'll see you guys on the next one. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the No CMO podcast brought to you by You Don't Need a CMO. I hope you enjoyed our episode with Ayal. All of his information about his previous and current companies and ventures is in the show notes below. As always, if you are listening, please make sure to subscribe, follow us, and leave us a comment or review if you enjoy the podcast. I got to thank you guys once again for tuning in to the No CMO podcast. All other information can be found at you don't need a CMO.com. <laughs>